This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 77, Comic Reviews for the week of May 8th. Welcome once again to Comic Shenanigans. I'm your host, Adam Trapman, and uh, this is the reviews episode for the week of May the 8th. Uh, I just wanted to start off with a quick apology, and uh, this is, I know, it's not the first week. It's, I think, the third or fourth week in a row where the episode has gone up a little bit later than originally intended. I really thought this week that Sunday I'd be able to make it, but uh, as uh, what is apt apt to happen in life, things do come up when you least expect them, and it pushes your best laid plans backwards. So originally I was planning, yeah, I can totally get this done on Monday. Sunday, and then it became, well, I'm doing another podcast on Monday, but I can totally get the reviews podcast up. And then it became, oh wow, it's Tuesday, and it's 11.30 at night, and I'm totally going to get this podcast done somehow. Um, the next episode of the podcast, which will be episode 78, uh, was originally supposed to go online at midnight uh, tonight, which would have been basically the beginning of uh, Wednesday the 15th. Uh, for those who were really excited about that podcast, the new episode of Talk and Hero Clicks, uh, it's been postponed about 12 hours, and now it's going to come out around midday on uh, Wednesday, the 15th of May. Anyways, uh, let's just jump right into the episode. Uh, this episode is going to be a little bit more abbreviated than normal. Uh, just there's a lot, a lot, there's a fair bit of books, but I just didn't, uh, I don't have a lot of time to really talk this week. Um, so I'm going to try to make this a little bit more rapid fire than normal. Uh, so starting off, we have Alpha Big Time number four. Um, I have dug this book more than I ever thought I would, but I wasn't a huge fan of this issue. Um, the art was alright. I did like that it was a bit of a team-up. Um, that part was kind of fun with Alpha and Thor. Just, it didn't quite work the same as I was hoping it would. It was still good. It's still a fun, kind of silly romp. Um, at times it reminds me of Gravity, although the character's not quite as likable, and the art's not as good, and it's not written as well, which sounds like a real damning indictment of the book, but it is, it's, it's, it's still entertaining, I'm still enjoying it, um... I do have to give uh, Josh Valkov a, a lot of credit because he's taken a character who Slot made me hate, and he's making it more enjoyable. Um, Plotty did the artwork, and it was an it was an okay book. Uh, this is a miniseries I would consider getting in trade, um, just because you know it's nice to have new characters in the Marvel in the Marvel universe. Again, the character did not have a great beginning, but I like that they were able to take a character that was pretty much universally hated and derided and make him a little bit more interesting. So that I give them credit for. So I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. Uh, next up is Astonishing X-Men 62. Um, you know, I'm looking at my rating and I'm like, I, did I really give it a 7 out of 10? Uh, I guess so. I mean, it's not horribly written. It's uh, kind of an interesting... Uh, focus on Iceman. The cover made me feel like maybe it would be a little bit of uh, present day and like a little bit of the old school Iceman that we've been seeing uh, in the uh, old new X-Men book. Unfortunately, that wasn't quite the case. Uh, the artwork is probably the most uh, off-putting part of this uh, series right now. Uh, Margie Lou's writing it. She's doing a fairly good job. It's Gabriel Hernandez uh, Walta, who I just don't really like his art. And if you look at even like the, the recap page, some of the artwork is just like Gambit looks ridiculous. North Star doesn't even look like North Star. Um, I don't know. I, I like that we were getting uh, uh, you have um, Bobby kind of coming to terms with certain aspects of his of his life, and him suddenly having all these characters who he used to be involved with showing up. I actually really like that part. Um, but the issue didn't quite really take hold enough. Um, but it is interesting to have him kind of confronted the fact that he's, he went through a lot during the extermination storyline, so at least we're getting a little bit of a follow to that, 
but it's the follow to that is in a book where no one really reads it. At least that's the sense of I get. I, I just don't feel like Astonishing X Men is a book with a very wide audience at this point. It's I feel like it's shrinking with every issue, especially as the other some of the other X books are much more kind of marquee books. Um, it's amazing how far Astonishing X Men has fallen. Uh, because it, it was obviously so strong during those first 24 issues by Joss Whedon. Then you had the weird Elvis run, which was not that well-received and kind of all over the place. And then you had a bunch of other writers taking it on, and no one really was able to really make it their own. Uh, I appreciate that Luz uses you know, interesting different casts of team, uh, on the team throughout her run, but... I'm just not a huge fan of the run. Uh, I'm interested to see where the storyline goes because it felt like someone actually knew a little bit about Iceman continuity, and I feel like there's maybe two other people who out there who even care, um, and I I guess I was one of them. Uh, so I gave this a 7 out of 10. Uh, next up is Avengers number 11. Um, I like this almost in spite of itself. Uh, if this is the right issue... Oh, no. I was, there's been a bunch of Avengers stuff coming out, so this is not what I thought it was. Uh, I really dug this. This was... Um, quite uh, an interesting book uh, the issue's called Wake the Dragon written by Jonathan Hickman or by Mike Diodato and it did kind of feel like a, uh, a Secret Avengers tale back when um, uh, oh, now what is his name I guess Brubaker was doing Secret Avengers it feels like that partially because you do have Shang-Chi uh, Shang-Chi his narration here is part of what really sells this book uh, the weird kind of group of ragtag uh, Avengers who are teaming up and doing this kind of Black Ops mission is fascinating. I like that we don't really know all that went down with, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Shang-Chi. Uh, I love, I absolutely love his narration, as I said. Uh, there's also a great kind of uh, red shirt kind of uh, aim agent kind of defects and I thought that he was absolutely hilarious to uh to read about this was just a ton of fun uh once again uh Hickman knocks it out of the park 9 out of 10 uh and then next up is Avengers Arena again a book that I don't even know why I enjoy it as much as I have been it it is a book that everything about it is something I, sh- I should hate and uh, and think is what's wrong with comics yet somehow I'm still entertained and enjoying this in this book it's you know, it's not often when I get to say, you know, that even though I had pre, you know, all these reservations and these preconceived notions in the book, um, it didn't matter and it was able to win me over anyway and make me look foolish. <laughs> uh, Dennis Hopeless is the writer, Kev Walker is the artist, um, and I guess Jason uh, Gorder is the inker. Um, this issue, we get to see a lot more about the, the Katie character and that she actually has this brother, and I actually. It made that part a lot more interesting. Uh, Justin in his Sentinel gets beaten up pretty bad, and I'm pretty sure he dies, uh, which is upsetting. Uh, I do like that we're getting a lot more of kind of things are happening. Things are really going down, um, especially after the last issue. I think it was last issue with the uh, the kind of the re- I think last issue was the reveal of Arcade. It might have been the issue before. But it's nice to kind of have a little bit more of resolution on what's going on, and you see some of these these people kind of um, not really teaming up anymore. They're kind of falling apart, and it's pretty interesting to see where they're going to go from here. Uh, but poor Justin, <laughs> seriously. Um, I gave it a seven out of th- sorry, an eight out of ten. It's a solid read once again. Uh, then we have Avengers Assemble fifteen AU. Um, what's weird about this is, as far as I know, there is no regular issue 15. It just goes right into AU, so it's kind of like, what's the point? Because all the other ones are uh, supplementary, and this one seems to be instead of, which is just an odd an odd choice. Um, this is written by uh, Al Ewing, or Ewing, 
with artwork by Butch Geis with uh, Tom Palmer and Rick Maguire on inks. Uh, really kind of dug this. I It feels like a leftover of the uh, Captain Britain and MI-13 once upon a time. Uh, ostensibly, it's you know what's happening during the Age of Ultron at the beginning uh, when he's kind of taking over everywhere and what uh, they're able to do in Britain. Captain Marvel's teaming up with Captain Britain, etc. And uh, it's actually quite, quite a lot of fun. Um, it's an interesting take. We get to see characters we haven't seen in a while. It's not the most accessible because of the characters that they're using. Um, you know, you have to kind of know about Black Knight and, and uh, Faza and even Captain Britain. But if you are kind of more in the know and you do have a working knowledge of those characters and their back history, this is actually immensely entertaining. So um, the artwork is not the strongest, um, but I got to, you know, I was originally going to give it a seven. I'm actually reconsidering. It's more of a seven and a half. It doesn't necessarily feel, as I said, it's a little, uh, it's a little on the inaccessible side, but it's still an entertaining book. Um, so seven out of ten. Uh, or eight. I'm just I'm gonna give it an eight. I I liked it more than I I I remember liking it. I think I read it and I gave it a rating, and now I'm like, mm, I was too harsh. Eight out of ten. Uh, then we have Avenging Spider-Man number twenty. Now this was a really entertaining book, but it did uh, kind of uh, change what we've come to expect from this book. Uh, we had we've had a series of done ones. Now we have a two-part episode or issue. Uh, it's written by Chris Yost with artwork by Marco Cicito. Um, basically, Spider-Man has, has decided he's going to break into... He has a big old elaborate plan. He's going to break into S.H.I.E.L.D. and he's going to um, break out Chameleon, which is interesting. But then there's there's, there's more going on. Uh, you know, there's others who want the Chameleon. Also, you have um, everyone who's kind of on the current on the Helicare right now, which I thought was really cool because we got a sense of, first of all, Coulson actually acting like the Coulson from uh, the movies. Um and basically Spider-Man having to deal with his plans kind of going belly up and then at the very end uh, you have a really pissed off uh, Hulk standing in his way uh, and there's a lot of different kind of characters all converging at once I'm really, I have been enjoying this quite a lot and uh, this is a, no exception, 8 out of 10 uh, the next up is Batman number 20 really didn't care for this this is part of a two part arc which it didn't feel I don't know, I, not that everything has to be part of some big epic or some big arc but I just wanted to feel a little bit more, um, I don't know, important. I, I'm struggling for the words because, I mean, it wasn't necessarily a bad issue. It just, um, I think that the creative team is worthy of much more and has been able to do much more in other venues. And this just wasn't it. So that was unfortunate. Um, just trying to pull up, uh, I believe it was still by Capullo and by, uh, oh, what's his name, Scott Snyder. Uh, which is a great creative team, but I just don't care about Clayface. And it did feel like a, a bit of a love letter to uh, the animated series because it felt like that version of Clayface. Um, and it's interesting how Clayface is kind of his powers operate in a different way. Uh, Lucius Fox, seriously, he doesn't know who who Bruce is at this point. Like, that's just stupid. Uh, I can't imagine how he's, he'd be that dumb. Uh, I did like, however, that there is an, um, a nod here towards uh, the... Uh, the uh, Batman Beyond armor, which I liked, that part was actually pretty cool. Um, yeah, no, it was it, it was an interesting read, parts of it, but parts of it just didn't just didn't work. Um, speaking of the Batman Beyond armor, I like that uh, Lucius actually says uh, it'll be at least twenty years before the thing is cost effective, and it's basically the Batman Beyond uniform. So that part's pretty cool. Um, the artwork is is enjoyable. Uh, I just I don't know, it it felt a little light. And uh, 
I don't know. I, 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 not everything has to be an epic, but sometimes you want it to be. And but the ending was kind of interesting and and heartfelt. And then we're gonna jump into the uh, a long, long look at the original history of this version of Bruce Wayne as Batman in Year Zero. So uh, we're done with the present, and now it's time to go way, way, way back to the past. I gave this a seven and a half out of ten. It was still a solid read, although not as interesting as it could have been. Uh, next up is Batman and the Red Hood, number twenty. Uh, I did find this a lot more entertaining than the last issue, which was Batman and Red Robin. Um, it's still not quite right. Uh, it's written by Tomasi, Peter J. Tomasi, with artwork by Patrick Gleason. Um, you have, uh, you know, Bruce Wayne really dealing with everything that's happened, uh, and he comes up with a plan as a ways of maybe trying to resurrect his son. You have Carrie Kelly showing up. I like that. There is definitely a, an attempt to really give her a reason to be there and, and really give her a personality, but at the same time it does feel more and more like a stunt, but, you know, I really like Tomasi, so I'm hoping that there is something to that. Then um, when you actually have the Red Hood and Batman fighting, and then Batman kind of reveals that he's like, you know, uh, he, they go back to where Jason died, and he's like, you know, I, I want to I, I wanna be able to bring my son back. I want to I wanna be able to watch him grow up. Um, which was interesting. And then you have the two fighting, and it's just kind of like, almost like, what was the point? Um, but it's just interesting to see Jason and, and Batman really having a, a knockdown throwdown, uh, because we haven't really seen a lot of their interactions in, in the New 52. So I did appreciate that, and um, uh, I and seeing, seeing Bruce as a grieving father is interesting, but at the same time, uh, he does some things which are very out of character, or just don't make a lot of sense for him. But again, it makes sense because he is out of character. He's been pushed in a way he's not used to being pushed. He's lost something great uh, that's really impacted him. So, I mean, a lot of the, those inconsistencies aren't inconsistencies at all, but instead are a method of the storytelling uh, because that's the after effect of losing your son, uh, which I'm glad that Tomasi is at least showing that this is a long-standing, like a long-lasting effect. It does remind me, though, of... When Jason Todd died, and you had Batman slowly getting more and more violent, and then that was the whole reasoning to bring in um, Tim Drake as Robin to kind of be able to show him that you know Batman needs a Robin. Uh, it does feel like we're kind of going in that direction a little bit. Um, maybe Carrie Kelly is going to be groomed for something, or maybe not. Maybe it's just a red herring that is meant to just make you think that it could be, and then not ever be. So who knows? Uh, Deathstroke number twenty. I believe this is the last issue of this book. Uh, again, I probably would never tell anyone to read the first 12 or 13 issues, but since then it's been much more interesting and engaging. Um, I kind of dug this. I mean, it was silly. It was bombastic. You have Majestic doing crazy things. You have Jericho being a dick. Um, Tony Bernard and Justin Jordan wrote it with Edgar Salazar and pencils. I do miss Joe Bennett because Joe Bennett had a better style for this book, but... Uh, there's a certain consistency in it, and it is kind of a... I'm not a huge fan of the bulkiness of some of the costumes, etc., but it, it was a pretty good fight, uh, and, uh, yeah, having to take down Majestic and the idea that, you know, Deathstroke really is one of the most dangerous people in the world, and this is why. I really dug that. Um, it was an appropriate ending, and it kind of leads off with, like, you know, what does come next for the character, and hopefully we'll, we will get to have to... We will get to see him somewhere else, and the, this obviously can't be the the last of it. Um, I'm interested to see who picks him up next and who's able to play with him. I give it a seven and a half out of ten. Uh, next up is Green Lantern Corps number f- twenty. 
Um, I almost didn't read this, but I was like, well, I want to read it because I want to read it for the podcast. Uh, it's an epilogue to Wrath of the First Lantern. But wait, Adam. Wait, you say. I didn't think that Wrath of the First Lantern was over yet because Green Lantern 20 hasn't come out yet. So how could this possibly be an epilogue? You would be correct. Uh, this is an epilogue to an issue that hasn't come out yet. So that's why I almost didn't read it. Uh, artwork by Fernando Pissarin and Scott Hanna with Peter J. Tomasi writing. It's not. I'm not going to say a lot about it. I know I usually spoil anyway, but I really didn't want to spoil this or even read this because it's... Like we haven't we haven't read what happens first, and we have glimpses towards what happens. But what I will say is that Salak gets rescued and wakes up. You have uh, John Stewart and Fatality finding a little bit of passion and love, or maybe love. I don't know if it's love per se. You have Guy Gardner trying to pr- protect his family, and uh, it, and it's an interesting status quo to leave off Guy Gardner with, uh, and how he tries to be normal and not be a ring slinger and he just can't do it because at the end of the day he's green lantern um i give it a seven and a seven and a half out of ten it was an engaging enjoyable book but again was kind of an oddly placed because uh it should just shouldn't have been published yet uh next up is iron man 258.1.2 i'm not going to reiterate a lot of the same issues i had before that this as much as I like that it's kind of like this nice float, uh, throwback story, at the same time it doesn't make a lot of sense at times because it doesn't actually fit where they want it to. At least it doesn't really feel like it. Like if you've read, um, if you've read Armor Wars two, this doesn't really fit. But I do like that it fits in that era, if that makes sense. So it's not quite fitting where they want it to, or it really makes sense where it want, where they want it to. But I do like where it's taking place and seeing these versions of these characters. Uh, it's written by David Michelini and uh, Bob Layton. They both worked on the plot, and then Michelini wrote the script. Dave Ross is the breakdown art, and Bob Layton did the art finishes, and Chris Sotomayor did the colors. Um, I like seeing this version of the Iron Man armor. Uh, you have an AI basically taking over and acting as if it's Tony, and then uh, Iron Man trying to figure out a way around it to stop, uh, and then also trying to uh, hook up with uh, James Rhodes as well. Uh, it, you know, it's a fun read. It's a little silly at times, um, but it, it, it's a fun book. And I think this is something I would think of buying and trade and putting it on my shelf proudly. Uh, in and around the armor, like I have Armor Wars, uh, Armor Wars Prologue, Armor Wars Two, uh, the Dragon Seed Saga, stuff that are from a, in and around this period. So I would happily pick up this trade and put it right in amongst those books. Um, so because it, it, you know it is an engaging and fun read at the end of the day. Um, I gave it a 7 out of 10. A lot of things were just good and not great this week, as you can tell. That So far, I think only two, two or three books have even made 8s. Eights, uh, eights are better. Most things have been around a 7, 7.5. Uh, that streak continues with the Iron Man 258.2 getting a 7. Then we have Justice League of America number 3. This is another book where I thought it was more of a 7 out of 10. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a little slow-moving. Uh, you have some stuff happening, but... Again, it's not quite fast enough for my tastes. You do have, um, you know, this robotic version of the Justice League going up against the Justice League of America. Uh, you do get a sense that there's a specific reason why certain members of the team are here. I thought the artwork was a little over-rendered at times, but, um, you know, and it wasn't as strong as the first two issues were. But it is interesting to see why Catwoman, you know, Catwoman acting as bait... Uh, seeing Hawkman and Green Arrow fighting is always nice because that's something that these characters like to do. Um, you got Signal Man and Blockbuster and uh, trying to uh, abduct 
Catwoman, who's basically trying to be a traitor to get into this uh, secret society. Um, it's interesting. I, I kind of wish that there was... Uh, that this team's origin would feel a little bit bigger. At least, like, you have the Justice League 1 to whatever, 6, and that was, like, a big story. This is how the Justice League forms. I know this one seems a lot more, a lot smaller, tinier in scope, and not nearly as epic, if that makes any sense. I'll give it a 7 out of 10. Next up is Secret Avengers number 4. I actually really dug this. I'm digging this entire book much more than I thought I was going to. Uh, I gave it an 8 out of 10. Um... It's actually quite good. I like the espionage aspects, um, all the mind control. I like that you have this this AI uh, of uh, the Iron Patriot showing up and them trying to um, go up against it. And by them, I mean S.H.I.E.L.D. I like the Coulson's in here and how he interacts with characters as well. I like the Daisy Johnson's in here and how she's interacting with Maria Hill because um, I, I like both those characters. I like the Banner trying to kind of get involved. Uh, a weird sequence of uh, Iron Man kind of saying, I'm off planet, can't help you. Um, Hulk going up against all the uh, Iron uh, Iron Patriot armors and then uh, wiping his memory about what happened. Uh, very cool, very interesting stuff. Um, I'm digging it. I'm interested to see where they go from here uh, with the idea that uh, they have to assassinate the Scientist Supreme. I like that this, is, this feels more like what Secret Avengers always should have been as opposed to what it to what it normally was, mainly because it shouldn't be a secret Avengers team. It's basically a shield black ops, and that's what this is, but it's springboarding off the name recognition of the Avengers. And I'm fine with that, because it's giving us a really good book that, again, I wasn't really expecting all that much out of, and uh, it's been fantastic. Uh, it's written by Nick Spencer, with artwork by Luke Ross. Um, next up is uh, Suicide Squad number 20. This was a really good book. It really flipped the switch. It uh, we get to see a little bit more of how Deathstroke's been surviving things. Uh, we have a whole kind of uh, analyzation of the entire team. Uh, you have the Unknown Soldier kind of putting his foot down. You have uh, Harley Quinn acting in a certain direction. King Shark, you get to see how he does think that he's more than a man, but at the same time, or at least more than a just a creature. You have this great panel where uh, you have these like Scrabble pieces going up in the air because... Um, Unknown Soldier hits, I forget his name, but one of the other members of the team, and you have the uh, letters Crunk go, go up in the air, which is kind of cool, and uh, I really like that. The idea that we have uh, Gordon's son, Gordon Jr., being on this team, how he's kind of, it looks like he's basically in love with uh, Amanda Waller, that's kind of creepy and interesting as well. This is a really strong issue. It shows that this is a team of really dysfunctional personalities, and hopefully we'll get to have more of a mission next time. But so far, I didn't need a mission here because it was fascinating enough just reading about these characters. Uh, so that was an 8 out of 10. Next is Thor God of Thunder number 8. I thought this is about a 7.5 out of 10. It was enjoyable, though. Um, we got to see that the younger Thor is kind of time-displaced. Uh, you have the... two the two older Thors uh, traveling so they can you know, go up against Gore the God Butcher um, the artwork's pretty good it's pretty interesting it's not the sharpest artwork but it kind of lends itself to a certain style uh, the script isn't the sharpest but it's still f fairly entertaining uh, it's written by Jason Aaron, another book by him this week and it's written, sorry, the artwork is by Isad Rivik uh, next up is Uncanny Avengers number 8, I gave this a 7 out of 10, last issue the last, was it two issues ago, where we had that great uh, Kang and Apocalypse issue. That was really good. This was okay. Um, 
you definitely have an uncanny x-force kind of vibe back when uh, uh recommender was writing it this issue is of course written by recommender with our work by daniel acuna i'm not a big fan of daniel acuna uh for most most of the time uh i did find that his artwork here is a little bit better than normal but not quite as solid as two issues ago um interesting to see Captain America kind of doing his thing and is on his what he's trying to you know get away and he, he finds uh basically something that says like uh, a message box basically meant for him which is interesting um I'm not a big fan of these two kind of apocalypse twins characters but I do really like how Sunfire is being portrayed and having him and Thor team up which is actually kind of inspired because they're both headstrong jerks at the time uh so I gave that a 7 out of 10 uh Uncanny X-Force number four, not a big fan of this at all. I give it a six and a half. Um, the artwork is fairly good by Ron Garney. Uh, it's written by Sam Humphreys, who I'm not, a, I'm not really digging the script all that much. I don't care for, you know, this this, this version of the Bishop character. He's after this girl. I just don't care. The artwork is kind of interesting, especially with the psychic playing aspects. Um, I don't know. Like, And this could be a really interesting team, too. And it's just... And it could be interesting going up against Bishop, but none of that is really being uh, addressed or approached in a, in a manner that I think is that entertaining or interesting. So I gave it a 6.5 out of 10. And the last book of this week is Wolverine number 3. Uh, I'm just not really digging this. I feel like it could almost be any other character. It doesn't even need, really need to be uh, Wolverine. Uh, you have him teaming up with uh, Nick Fury Jr., who is just everywhere. Uh, artwork by is by Alan Davis, which is pretty good stuff. I think it's by Mark Farmer, um, but some of it just didn't work for me because you had Wolverine going on and on again about uh, you know the Watcher and what the Watcher being there means. And I did like that you have like this other kind of group that Wolverine's a part of, which was kind of interesting, uh, an eclectic uh, group of characters. Um, you know, it's okay. I mean, at the end of the day. I kind of prefer Savage Wolverine because at least that feels like it has a bit more of a purpose and presence. This just kind of feels like we're doing things and this character and he's jumping through minds and and sorry bodies and he's got to go up against this this creature and I'm just like I don't care. Um, I gave it a seven out of ten because the artwork's still pretty strong and the, and the writing on Wolverine at times is is quite uh, peppy, but uh, at the same time I don't really care a lot for the actual story beats. Uh, so I gave it a seven out of ten. Which leaves us with a bunch of books I didn't get to, which include Constantine number three, Deadpool number nine, Demon Knights number twenty, Fearless Defenders number four, Katana number four, Ravagers number twelve, Superboy number twenty, Team Seven number eight, uh, which is kind of funny, Threshold number five, and Ultimate Comics Ultimus twenty four. I feel like it's the last issue for uh I wanna say Ravagers. I don't even know if that's true. I know for Team Seven I think it's the last issue. And I know Demon Knights will be ending shortly because it got it's been cancelled. I think it's ending in August. Um so that is basically the week of uh, May the eighth. Um it was an okay week. Some a lot of middles, not a lot of bads, not a little not a lot of really goods. It was just kind of like this odd, strange week. Um but that was the week as it was. Uh, if you'd like to email me, you can do so at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can also like us on Facebook. Uh, we usually put all the uh, episodes up on a thread in HC Realms, so you can be ha- be uh, we, we love getting feedback there. Uh, I really appreciate all the feedback I've gotten recently. Uh, I will try to make sure that maybe next time I can actually get an episode out on time. 
Um, next week it may be up a little day later than normal, but this is on purpose because uh, in Canada it's uh, a Victoria Day long weekend coming up, um, which is always nice. So we're having a day off, uh, so we have a long weekend. So you know maybe it'll go up on Monday, maybe on on Sunday, but I doubt it. Um, in terms of episodes that are coming up next, episode seventy eight, which will be coming out within within the next twelve hours, at least from the time I record this, will be the next Talking Heroclix episode. Uh, episode 80 will be coming out on, I guess, the 22nd of May, and that will be um, uh, the Spotlight on Star Trek in the Darkness episode. Episode 82 is a little bit up in the air. It's either going to be an interview with uh, Nick Patara, artwork artist on Manhattan Projects by Jonathan Hickman, or it'll be uh, an episode, another uh, Book of the Month episode with uh, Paul Scorez and Nathan Strzok. So that is a little up in the air, depending on the availability for Mr. Patara. Um, we've been trying to get him on the show for a while. Uh, it may or may not happen, but hopefully the stars will align and it will actually happen this time around. Anyways, thank you for joining me. I am Adam Chapman, your host of Comic Shenanigans, and I uh, hope you will join us next time. Bye bye. <laughs>